Amen. Thank you, Sister Jane. Appreciate that good song. Well, have you, have you been glad you came to church tonight? What a good night. Take, take your Bible, go to Philemon. We couldn't have church without preaching, could we? <laughs> that wasn't a very hearty amen. Um, Philemon, we've been looking in the book of Philemon, and just to remind you, Philemon is a man of means. He has a church in his house. He has servants, and one of them named Onesimus has done something that has caused him to run not only from his master, but to end up in prison where the apostle Paul is, because Paul is in prison. He's in prison for the gospel. Onesimus is there probably because of a crime committed. And that being said, God has taken and he has touched the life of Philemon. In fact, tonight, what I want to preach on, I want to preach on the wonder of the gospel for just a moment. Isn't it amazing how the gospel of Jesus Christ reaches all men? I think I'll say that again. Doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, doesn't matter how educated you are, or how illiterate you are. It doesn't matter what your skin color is or what nation you live in. The gospel of Jesus Christ is able to reach all men in the world. And that's an amazing thing. And the story we have, the story we have before us reflects that. If you look with me, the Bible says in verse number 8, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ, to enjoin thee that which is convenient. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, that thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant." A brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord, if thou count me therefore as a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I read that and I see an amazing story. What the gospel is able to do, the boundaries that it's able to reach across. And Paul is telling you, I'm being very bold. The Holy Ghost writing through Paul's hand. Look at verse number 8. Though I might be much bold in Christ. He's writing a letter back to a man that has possession of Onesimus' life. Perhaps he purchased him. Perhaps he was someone that was in the family for a long time. The bottom line is that Onesimus, Onesimus is someone that has run away. And by law, by Roman law, he could be executed for that. Whatever he did, whatever he took... Perhaps he grabbed things on his way out. We don't know. All we know is that if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. Whatever he did, whatever he did, Paul is now writing back to Philemon and he's saying, Philemon, I want you to take this brother back in. And I don't want you to take him in as a servant. I want you to take him in as a brother. 
And not just as a brother, but I want you to take him in as my own son. And not just my own son, but I want you to receive him as myself. Oh, I'm telling you, church, you listen, some of you, I look like I've lost you. I'm going to preach whether you stay with me or not. I'm I'm glad that in heaven, I'm glad that in heaven I've been made accepted in the beloved, and I am accepted by God the Father on the basis of Jesus Christ. Not my worth, you know, not who I am, not what I've done, not what I have to offer God. I don't have anything to offer God just like Onesimus. He didn't have anything to offer Philemon. But Paul is saying, you receive him as myself. I'm glad that I've got a God that accepts people on behalf of his son that aren't worthy. Great picture in the Bible. But how that story comes about is remarkable. Look what he does. He says, I'm going to make this plea to you. Notice again, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee. That word enjoin is not quite the word command and not quite the word authority, but it, it, it's like laying something on somebody, putting the ball back in their hand. And he says that I might enjoin thee that which is convenient. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. Paul does a lot of beseeching on behalf of other people. He risks things for others. And what he does is he's saying, I'm doing this based upon love. I'm asking you for a big favor. I'm asking you to take Onesimus back in, Philemon. And I'm asking you to do it, first of all, based on love. Now, if you go back up in verse 5, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. In other words, he's asking to do this for love's sake. He's not just saying do this out of duty. How many of you think there's a big difference between duty and love? Duty and love are two different things. The Bible says that God so loved the world. That was his choice. And I'm just saying tonight, he is appealing to Philemon. Philemon, do this for love's sake. After all, hey, after all, Philemon, you were loved by God when you were not one of his children. And if you could be loved by God when you were not one of his children, then you ought to show the love of God to somebody else in the same condition. So I'm appealing to you. Philemon, I'm asking you for love's sake. Do it for love, if for nothing else. But then he goes on a little far. Look what else he says. Being such a one as Paul the aged. He said, do it because I'm old. (laughs) How many of you resemble that remark? He said, listen, I'm old. Now, I think that could mean both physically and spiritually. He's old. He's, He's been down the road now. He's... He's somebody that is not without experience and not without discernment, both physically and spiritually. He's got marks that he could show you, but he has put his time in, and he's telling Philemon, Philemon, do it because I'm an older man. Hey, listen, don't you think that we ought to be kind to older people? (laughs) I think you ought to be kind to old people. Some of you older folks ought to be saying amen right there. Right, you ought to be kind to them. Right, you ought to be careful. We don't have this problem here. I would rather have children running in church than have no children at all. But I think if you're going to run in church, you need to be careful that you don't run over somebody and knock them down. might break an arm or break a leg, go to the hospital, and maybe not be able to recover. You ought to be kind to old people. If they're slow, you ought to let them go ahead and take their time. Right. He said, look, I'm old. Indulge me. You know, I, I had my, my grandmother 
Logan, she had a pacemaker. And she'd had a pacemaker for a while. She worked hard on a farm. Um, they got up, she got up every morning, fixed breakfast. It was on the table at 5.30. She liked red-eye gravy. How many of you know what red-eye gravy is? All red-eye gravy is is grease from whatever meat you've cooked with a cup of coffee poured in it, and she would pour it over her biscuits. And she went to the doctor one day, and, and the doctor really fussed at her in front of my, one of my relatives. And he said, you, don't, you need to stop eating like that. And at this point, she was about 85 years of age. And I'm glad that my relative looked back at that doctor and said, listen, she has lived 85 years eating red-eye gravy and real butter. Why don't you just leave her alone and let her eat what she wants to eat? <laughs> Paul is doing that to Philemon. We don't know how old Philemon is, but he's saying, look, I'm a senior to you, and I have some discernment. I'm not just stupid. You know, a lot, of, a lot of times young people think if you're old that you really don't know what's going on. No, it just means that you're not part of what, that youthful generation. Just because we don't wear the same kind of clothes that you wear doesn't mean that we don't know something about clothes and how much they cost and how much they're worth. Well, that went over real well. And Paul is just saying, look, I have some discernment, so I'm asking for love's sake, but I'm also asking because I'm aged. And then he says, look what else he says. Yet for love's sake, rather, I beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Philemon, it's come at a great cost for me to be in ministry. That long list in 2 Corinthians of how many times he'd received stripes and him being in perils in the deep, in perils among his countrymen, in hungerings often. I know a lot of times people say, well, you know, God's children never hunger. Paul was hungry. Paul was shipwrecked. I believe that Paul many times was cold. I believe he hurt. And he said, look, I've got the marks to show my allegiance to Jesus Christ, my service to him. And he's saying, look, I'm in prison right now. I'm, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And if for no other reason, Philemon, because of what I have paid and what I have suffered and because of what God has brought me through and how he's brought me together in prison with Onesimus, I'm asking you, please, take him back in. Please receive him as a son. Receive him as myself because of love's sake and my age and because of the cost, the suffering that I have invested in the work of Christ. But then he goes a step further in verse 10, and that verse 10 is where it really turns. Would you look there in verse 10? I beseech thee, that's exactly what he said in verse 9, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten in my bonds. You know what he's doing now? He, now he's He's asking Philemon to do it on behalf of his family, his son, his daughter. How many of you parents appreciate somebody that's been kind to one of your children? How many of you grandparents appreciate somebody being kind to one of your grandchildren? You, you think about those people in a different light because that is somebody so important to you, that son, that daughter, that grandson, that granddaughter. And, and, and what Paul is saying to Philemon, he's saying, listen, this is not just a slave. This is not just a servant that ran away from you. This is my son. Philemon, I'm asking you to do this on behalf of my son. And I can hear somebody say, well, he's not really his son. Oh, yes, he is. Look in verse number 10. Whom I have begotten in my bond. 
Amen. The amazing thing about the gospel is that it reaches across and it takes and it brings people to a place of salvation and it changes their family. Hey, listen, I don't know whether you were born in South Carolina, North Carolina, if you were born north of the Mason-Dixon line or south of the Mason-Dixon line, or if you were born outside of America or inside of America. But I'm telling you tonight, if you were born again, you're part of the family of God. Born of God, not of the will of man, nor the will of the flesh, but of God. Amen. Amen. Now, it's amazing. I think what he does is he puts a debt on Philemon also. Would you look down at verse number 19? I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. <laughs> it looks like to me that not only did Paul beget Onesimus with the gospel, but it looks like Paul begat Philemon with the gospel. That at some point Paul stood before Philemon and he looked at Philemon and he told him about the gospel of Jesus Christ and Philemon got born again. And so now he's saying, look, I'm telling you, Philemon, I, I led you to Christ. I, I, I begot you. you. You know, you owe me yourself, but I'm asking now on behalf of my son. And he's using debt to try to take and help him to see you have a responsibility because you were also led to Christ by me. I think that's remarkable. I think we owe a debt to the gospel. In fact, I believe that's biblical. Put a little mark if you wouldn't find Lehman. Four times in the book of Romans, we're called debtors. How many of you don't like debt? How many of you think our country's in debt? I'm not asking you if you're in debt. Debt. You know, debt, first time the word debt occurs in the Bible, 1 Samuel 22, 2 those that were in distress, those that were in debt, and those that were discontented. The Bible says they gathered themselves unto David and made him their king. You know, if you're in debt, I tell you one wise thing to do would make Jesus your king. Be gathered unto him, but debt. And the Bible's clear you ought to pay your debts. How many think you ought to pay your debts? How, how many of you don't like it when people don't pay you what they owe you? In fact, how many of you have been a little bit bitter about somebody that, that you have to see every now and then that you know they, they, they asked to borrow money from you and they didn't pay it back to you? Anybody like that? Don't raise your hand. Because all you can see when they walk by is the amount of money they owe. That's why the Bible says, the wicked borrow and pay not again. I think you ought to pay your bills. We're talking about bills in the state house. I think you ought to pay the bills that come to your house. Right. Right, I don't think you ought to take and let that go by. I think you ought to pay the bills that come to your house. I think you ought to pay and you ought to return what you borrowed back better than you got it. Amen. Brother Stewart's here tonight. He taught me that about 100 years ago when I was working for him here at the church. And I, I used a mower and he wanted me to clean that mower up after I finished using it. He do the same thing to you, Dave? I'd never heard of such. A mower's supposed to be dirty. It cuts grass. A mower's not a car. Nobody rides on a mower. Well, somebody rides on mowers, but nobody rides a mower. Nobody displays a mower. Nobody's putting that out front of everybody to see. Mother Stewart said, no, we need to get that thing cleaned up. Okay. I took that with me to Alabama. I borrowed a man's truck, went and got a load of cotton hulls. 
for compost. And I, I remembered Brother Stewart telling me that very thing. He said, you clean that thing up. So I took and I washed that man's old truck. I filled it up with gas. And I took it back to him. And he said, preacher, what are you doing? I said, I'm just trying to return it better than I got it. You know, he let me borrow his truck all the time. And what I'm trying to say right now is, is that you ought to pay your debts. I know the character of the people of Tabernacle Baptist Church. I know what was put into us and into you. I, I remember vividly, I remember vividly, Dr. Seitler said, if you owe a bill, if you owe a bill and you don't have the money, you go to that man, you pay him a dollar, and you tell him, when I get more, I'll come back again. That's the way this church was raised. That if you owe somebody and you don't have it all, you pay part of it and say, when I can, I'll come back and I'll pay more. That's good character. That's good character. And I know our people, they don't like to be under a debt. They don't, they don't want to be under debt. Some of y'all don't have that. In fact, some of y'all, some of y'all don't even put your money in the bank. You put it in jars and hide it in the backyard. <laughs> I'm just seeing who smiled at that and shook their head. I'm just trying to get a good view right there now. Don't like debt. Don't want to be in debt. Well, look at Romans chapter 1. It was read already tonight. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 talks about the gospel of Christ. You see that in your Bible? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. But go back and look at verse number 14. I am debtor. I'm debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He goes on to say... To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, Paul had the idea that because I have received salvation from the gospel of Christ, that I have a responsibility, a debt, to get that gospel out to other people that are out there so that they can experience, hey, the same freedom that I now enjoy. Amen. Oh, a debt. I'm a debtor to those that do not know Jesus and that do not have the gospel, and I have a debt to work that off and to get the gospel. Listen, this, this morning a young man got saved. Isn't that a blessing? Do you, do you know that the seed was sown long before he came into this building? He came with one of his coworkers that had been talking to him repeatedly about the gospel. Is it any wonder then at the end of the service he said, you know, I'm not saved, and somebody took a Bible and showed him. See, we get so excited about that preacher or that man that's there at that moment. I'm telling you, we are a debtor to carry the gospel to people that don't know who Jesus is. Hey, the world would be better off if they knew who Jesus was. We're a debtor. He said, I'm a debtor. I owe a debt to get the gospel out, just like a cure. I mean, how many of us in here have a family member that suffered with cancer. Would you raise your hand? I have. Wouldn't it be awful if your family found the cure to cancer and only kept it for yourself? How would you feel if you found out your next door neighbor had a cure that would have given peace and relief and help to somebody you loved? I believe we're a debtor. We're a debtor to give the gospel out. I think that we ought to have that in mind. Now, I don't think we ought to do that necessarily 
out of strict duty, I, I think it's a blessing to give the gospel and watch people's eyes light up and watch them uh, find out that there's a Savior that would die and pay for their sins even when they were not in, in any shape, form interested in God at all. I'm, I'm glad we've got a good news to carry. We have good news to carry. We don't have a bad message. We have a good message. Our dear brother Menengo gave a very, very articulate, very clear message about Palmetto family. And he talked about it's not in the White House and it's not in the State House, but it's right here. I'm hey, he's right on the money. Hey, we have a good message to carry. Paul said, I'm a debtor. You know, there's so many other debts that are in the book of Romans, a debt to live a spirit-filled life and not to live after the flesh, a debt to love, a debt to give to those that have given to you spiritually. But you know what you'll never find? You'll never find a place that says that I owe God a debt. Can, can I ask you a question? Hey, church, listen. How many, how many of you think, how many of you think that we are indebted to God? Look, all my sins are paid for. How much would that be worth? Every one of them is not just covered, they have been taken away. Amen. You may have friends and loved ones that remember your sins. God doesn't know what, hey, they're gone because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, listen, one, you, you got a home in heaven. The Bible says a mansion. I, I remember as a little kid watching The Price is Right. Did anybody ever watch The Price is Right? Man, people get so excited, you know, they get called up there and what's behind door number one? And they said, I didn't want door number one. And there's a goat. What's behind door number two? And behind door number two is a washing machine. What's behind door number three? And, you know, if it's a car, I mean, they're jumping up and down. They kiss Monty Hall and everything else because of what they got. I'm, I'm telling you, the mansion that God has prepared for them that love him is nothing. Hey, there is nothing here compared to that kind of place. Amen. Got a brand new body waiting on you. Now, if you're young, that doesn't mean nothing. If you're, you're 12, 15, 17, 21, who cares about a brand new body? How many of y'all that are in your 50s think that'd be a real nice thing? I mean, how much, listen, how much would it cost you at Prisma just to get a facelift or a little work done on the joint or a little work done on the heart? Costs a lot of money, doesn't it? And you know what we got? Are you, listening? You, you, know, you know why we're not in debt to God? Because everything we had was a free gift. You can't be in debt to somebody that gave you a gift. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give you a gift if you'll give this back to me, if you'll work for me. He just said, no, I, I love you, and I'm going to give you the gift of eternal life. Hey, God was not good to you because you were good. God was good to you because he is good. Come on, how many of you think we got a whole lot more grace than we deserved? A whole lot more mercy than we deserved. And there's no bill coming due on that. Praise the Lord. I'm gonna there's no bill coming due on that because he's a good God, a gracious God, a merciful God. If we owe anybody, we owe him. But you can't owe somebody that gives it to you. You know what that teaches me? If I'm a debtor to the gospel, it can't be about how people respond. It can't be about how I feel about how people respond to me when I talk to them about Christ. 
I've just got to do it for love's sake. I've got to do it for the sake of Christ and his name. It's not about me feeling good about it. It's about Jesus getting the glory that he deserves. Right. Right. The debt of the gospel. Go back, if you would, to Philemon. Philemon. The debt of the gospel. Look at the instrument of the gospel. I beseech thee, verse 10, for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Now, we know that Paul did not save Onesimus. We know that. So, he's not trying to say that I'm the Savior, and we are not the Savior. But we sure can point people to the Savior. And what God does, God will use an individual as an instrument of the gospel to reach people that other people cannot reach. There is a debt to the gospel that we owe because we have received freedom from the gospel. But God, God gets the gospel to people through the instrument of other people. He uses people. I'm not against passing out tracts. In fact, I'm just curious not, is there anybody here that got saved reading a tract? Would you raise your hand? Hold it up high. Hold it. All, several all throughout the building. Throughout the building. I believe in that. And, and I think it's a good thing. I, I'm not against video presentations of the gospel. Did anybody get saved by watching a film or a video presentation of the gospel? Would you raise your hand? I'm not against that. I'm just saying that God uses someone to reach someone. So Paul said, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten in my bonds. In other words, I was the instrument that God used to reach this runaway servant. Now, look at that with me for again. Put a little mark right there, and let's just look at that. Look at Acts chapter 8. Look at Acts 8. We're going to go at least 730, all right? Would that be okay? All right. I'm just talking about the wonder of the gospel. The wonder of the gospel is that we're a debt to something we've enjoyed and we've been given. And now I'm saying that we're also an instrument of the gospel. In, in, in Acts chapter 8, if you look what the Bible says, God uses Philip as the instrument to reach a man who is very powerful in his home country. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 29, Then said the, the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him. In other words, he ran. He did exactly what the Spirit told him. And heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Do you see that in your Bible? Listen, this Ethiopian eunuch has a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And he's been to Jerusalem to worship and he's got this scroll. And what I'm saying is that that this man is reading. He's got a heart that is trying to find out and searching. He even asked, who is this scripture speaking about? But you know what he needed? He needed an instrument. He needed somebody to step up inside that chariot and help him understand what he was reading. How many of you had somebody help you understand the power and understand the gospel before you got saved? Would you raise your hand? Somebody sat down beside you. God used somebody to come to you, and he sends Philip to this eunuch. He sends Philip to this eunuch and says, I want to use you to do that. Look at it again in chapter 10. Look at chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, look at verse number 32. You have Cornelius, Cornelius, this 
Italian soldier, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He's been praying. He's been tithing. And, and he doesn't know what the truth is. And he's searching for that. Verse 32, he gives an account. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast done well that thou art come. Now therefore all are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. In other words, we're sitting here waiting to hear what you've got to say, Peter. God said, Peter, I'm going to send you down to this man's house, Cornelius. Cornelius, I'm going to send you a man named Peter, and I'm going to bring you together. And Peter's not the Savior. Hey, hey listen, Peter is not the Savior. There is no salvation in Peter. But Peter knew who the Savior was. So Peter opens his mouth and he begins to tell Cornelius and his family, boy, the next thing you know, you got a whole house full of people that get born again by the gospel because God uses an instrument to make that happen. You do matter. The people that you touch, you matter. There are people that you can speak to that many of us could never speak to. I, I, just our brother tonight. There are people that he can speak to in the state house that would not look at me twice. There are people that Robbie Mullinax, because of his history with music, that he can speak to that would not, wouldn't even care to know who I am. That's true of all of you. You have people that are uniquely connected to you, and God wants to use you as an instrument. Look at it, look at it again. I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm belaboring the point, but I want you to see Acts 16, Acts 16. The wonder of the gospel is that God uses people like you and I that are frail and have faults and problems to give a gospel that's perfect and pure. Acts 16, Paul's trying to figure out where to go. And finally, the, verse number 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. He sees a vision of a man saying, Come help us. Can you get that in your mind? He sees the vision of a man saying, Come help us. Help us in Macedonia. Help us. He gets to Macedonia. He didn't see a man. Who does he see? Verse 14, a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which are spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. He talked to Lydia. God used Paul to speak to Lydia. In the same chapter, he does the same thing with the Philippian jailer. Look at it. The Bible says, verse 30, the Philippian jailer, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And remember, he's going to take his life. Are you listening to me? He's going to take his life. I don't think there's ever been a time in America where you have more people that are contemplating suicide. It is a question that you're asked every time you go to the doctor now. If you go into the ER, they're going to ask you that question. Have you had any thoughts about harming yourself? I always say no, but I wonder if you said yes, what would they do? Blow a whistle, red lights go off, and they come in and take you. I have no idea. I'm not advocating you try that either. I'm just saying... Our country, whether it's young people, old people, it doesn't matter. Our country is filled with people that are at the point, I can't take it anymore. I, don't, I can't take the pressure. I'm going to take my life. And that is this jailer. I'm going to take my life because all these prisoners are going to escape and they're going to kill me anyway. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And you know what they told him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house 
You know what we see down in the passage? A Philippian jailer washing the stripes off the backs of people that he was given the care of in his home with a family that got saved. God used an instrument. Now think about it, That's in jail. Where are we in the book of Philemon? Paul's in jail. He's in jail, and there sits Onesimus. And I can't help in my mind thinking that Paul started a conversation. Listen, most of us in here, if you got put in jail, would go sit in a corner and hope for the day. Paul sitting in jail, he'd been in there enough. There's Onesimus. I, I don't know how he started off. Maybe he said, what are you here for? Oh, well, you really don't want to know. No, I do. Well, what'd you do to get in here? Well, I, I ran away from my master. I, I did some things that I'm ashamed of, and then I got caught down here doing some other things I'm ashamed of, and I'm sure I'm going to die. You know, I think there's a solution for you. Really? Well, why are you in here? Well, I'm in here because of a man named Jesus Christ. Well, who is that? Oh, you don't know who Jesus Christ is? I can't help but think somewhere in that conversation the name Philemon came up. And I think Paul said, I know Philemon. I've been in his house. In fact, I introduced him to Jesus just like I'm talking to you about it right now. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that. In a prison, and the next thing you know, Onesimus, my son, whom I have begotten in my bonds. I every now and then I hear somebody say, well, you know, you need to wait for that divine appointment. I'm not, I'm not against that terminology. I do think God brings things together. But, but since when is there a wrong person to talk to about Jesus? No, come on. When's the wrong time to do it? Well, you can't do it. I, listen, I have, unlike you, brother, when I have been pulled over speeding, I witness to the, I witness to the guy that gives me the ticket. You say, how, how terrible. No, no. No, I, I didn't tell him I didn't deserve the ticket. I just, I just tried to tell him about Jesus. You say, why? Well, because <laughs> what else are you going to do? When's the wrong time to tell somebody about Christ? I, my, my granddaddy put it in me. I, I go to the hospital every time it happens. When somebody, when, when, I, when I'm standing inside the thing and I mash the button and they say, they say, okay, they say, uh, what floor? They say, third floor. I say, okay, going down. Yep, going down. I said, you know, most people are going down. I'm reaching in my pocket. But if you meet Jesus, you can figure out you can go up. When's the wrong time? God, God wants to use you as an instrument at your business, in your neighborhood, when you're buying coffee, when you go out to eat. Oh, God... God wants to use you as a witness. And listen, I'm telling you, that's the way he works it. He's not just dumping out the gospel. He chose to use people like you and me who are unfit, unqualified, got all kinds of problems having a bad day. My bad day doesn't change the power of the gospel. My problems don't change the power of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. Wow. Amen. Well, last thing, Philemon. Chapter 1, not only a debtor to the gospel, an instrument of the gospel, but the last thing I want you to look at, Philemon, chapter 1, verse number 10, I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus, who I have begotten in my bonds. And then I want you to, 
understand that when he says that, he's talking about his own son. Verse 12, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. That is mine own bowels. The power of the gospel. I, I'm amazed what the gospel can do. Here is Onesimus, a runaway servant that's been in prison and now he's, a he's in the family of God by the power of the gospel. How many of you think that probably helped his spirit a good bit? Come on, Paul sent the letter back to Onesimus through, or through, through Onesimus to Philemon. He willingly goes back to a place that he could be taken and judged and, and sentenced for. And now he's a, I, I think he doesn't walk back saying, oh, I'm, I, and that maybe the devil jumped on his shoulder and said, well, you know, you, 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 wait till you see Philemon. He's just going to, he's going to, he's going to say, I don't care what Paul had to say, but I think there's a Holy Ghost on the inside saying to him, you know what? I think I can go back because I'm a free man on the inside now. I, I may be a man servant, but I'm free on the inside. I think there was joy down in his heart. Hey, do you remember the day you got saved? Some of y'all looking at me, it's just so, so, so blank. Do you remember the day you got saved? Well, wasn't that a bad day? Oh, what a bad day. God made me. He forced me on my knees, and he made me, he made me repent. No, I'm telling you right now, the day you got saved, your life changed and things picked up for the better. I'm, I'm telling you, Onesimus is a joyful man on the inside. Hey, how many of you found out that you couldn't find peace at the bar, you couldn't find peace in a bottle, you couldn't find peace down at the social club, but you could find peace in the Prince of Peace? Not imaginary. Something that Jesus had to give. And I'm telling you, I'm, Onesimus has got peace. He's got comfort of the Holy Ghost. He's got joy. I think when he goes back, I think when he goes back, Philemon looks at him and says, you know, I remember what you looked like when you left, but mm, something different about him. You know what was different about him? The power of gospel to change a life. <laughs> I wish he was here tonight. He's not here. I love to hear the story of Gene DeWeese getting born again. Hard-charging ranger. 27 years of prayer. And now he's the guy that they ask at work, are you going to pray for us before we get started, Gene? Well, nobody asking Gene to pray 27 years ago. They might have been praying he didn't get a hold of him. But now he's a changed man. Come on. The gospel changes lives. The gospel turns a drunk into somebody that God can use for his glory. The power of the gospel. That's the story. That's the story. Now, you know what I think we ought to do tonight? I think we ought to empty that track rack out there, and I think we ought to empty that track rack going down the hall. I think we've got another one down the hallway. I think you ought to just take out a handful of them, and I think you ought to find somebody and just tell them, hey, can I tell you how good Jesus is? Let me tell you what he's done for my life. The amazing wonders of the gospel. Would you be here tonight without the gospel? No, but we are here because of that. All right. Well, we have one little matter left to take care of. And if you're a guest, it has been one hour and 35 minutes in the church house tonight. If you're a guest, you're welcome to dismiss yourself. Our members, if you'll stay, fellas, if you'll come to the platform, we'll take care of our church conference, all right? You go right ahead, Brother Prosser. Yes, sir.